last Saturday morning. Uh, I got up early, early in the morning like I usually do. Julie and I had our coffee of a morning together, and then I said, babe, I got to hit it. I got to finish preparing for the sermon. I left where we were having coffee, and I went, and I opened up my laptop, and I went to the document that I had been working on just the day before, and it was gone. I didn't panic. I didn't freak. I started searching through my computer thinking something fun has happened here. And I went to the folder where I keep all of my sermon manuscripts that I write out every single week. And as I went to that folder, it wasn't there. Okay, we're cool. I'm going to go look at the outline. I've already finished the outline. I've about finished the manuscript for this week's message. I go to the folder where the outlines are. 21 years of outlines. Gone. Now, I need to just tell you this by way of backstory. I'm the kind of person, if I lose a T-shirt or a tool is not in the place where I think it ought to be, my world stops spinning. It sends me over the edge, lose my mind, batty to not be able to find something. Does anybody else share that with your pastor in the room? Okay, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Well, because it was Saturday, I I had to put all of that aside. I, I couldn't get distracted because Sunday is relentless. Sundays keep happening every single week. And so I just started over from scratch with the sermon that I'd already just about finished put the lost files aside, but when we got through Sunday, I immediately got on the phone with the good people at Apple and explained the situation. They spent over an hour trying to help me find my documents. I, now, I know some of you are already judgmental. You're thinking, Mac, you should really back those things up. <laughs> I do. I save them on my laptop. I back them up to the cloud, and They spent an hour with me on the phone trying to find these documents. They were so helpful, and they found nothing. I said, okay, I'm going to schedule an appointment with the Apple Genius Bar. They're geniuses. Or is that genii? I I don't know, but they're they're geniuses. I'll go. I was with the genius for about 15 minutes. He's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I said, you're a genius. He said, let me, let me get you on the phone with, with Apple Care. I said, Ben, that's great. So I sat in the Apple store at the Genius Bar talking to Apple Care for over an hour. They were awesome. They found nothing. And finally, she said, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Mr. Richard. I am going to send your case to iCloud Engineers. And they will be able probably to find your documents. If they were backed up to the cloud, they will find them somewhere. This doesn't happen to us. It hasn't happened to us. It's happened to me. I didn't say that, of course. But she said, someone will call you within 24 hours. 24 hours to the minute from when I hung up that phone call, I got a call from some guy in California who explained to me that some engineers in Scotland had found my documents, and they had miraculously been restored to my laptop. When I got back, I was in the car when they called me. When I got back and I saw that they they had restored my documents, I was like, 
finally, the people at Apple have made everything on earth as it is in the cloud. I, I, I talk for a living and I don't have the words to describe how grateful, how excited I was that I've, I'm talking about 21 years worth of sermons. Are you feeling me? Can you, I mean, that was a little disconcerting. Prayer moves the purposes and the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is the vehicle that mobilizes the cause and the kingdom and the purposes of God. Prayer is what engages you and me with God relationally and allows us to collaborate and to participate with him in his purposes here on earth as it is in heaven. This is where God takes his will and his ways from the clouds and makes it real here in the earth. This is what God does. This is what we began as we started this series here to help. It's this, it's this incredible opportunity that we have to connect with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but not only to connect with him relationally, to actually share in his purposes in this world. It's it's where we come to understand the words of King David. It's where we understand that prayer is not just some kind of a little, you know, off-the-cuff, wishing-well desire, but this is the cry of our hearts that our deepest soul needs are met in the activity, in the regular and consistent practice of prayer. It's what David was getting at when he wrote Psalm chapter 86. Psalm 86.1, of course, is our anchor verse for this entire series that we're in. And it's this incredible cry when, when David says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. It's not just you know, if there's a problem, then I'm going to go to God and pray. It's not just when we sit down and have a meal, we're going to do a blessing. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food or, or whatever you, however you pray that to make sure that it rhymes. The fact of the matter is prayer is both the fuel and the engine for the Christian faith. It, it is what connects us to the heart of God himself. And it's for that reason that Jesus took time out of his very, very brief time here on earth to teach and to explain to us how we are to pray. As we talked about last week, there's a, this model prayer given to us in the book of Matthew chapter 6. It's also echoed again in the book of Luke, but Matthew chapter 6 is kind of where we're going to camp out for the next few weeks, where we started last week and what we're beginning as we look at this idea of moving the will of God from heaven to earth, of making it a reality in this world. These are the words of Jesus. He said, now, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't hear the message, I can't tell you how important it is that you go back and listen to that message, that you go back and get, because every phrase of this model prayer that Jesus gives us builds on the one that went before. The prayer, of course, begins, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, Holy is your name. But then Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and he says these words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's this idea that the earth, that everything that happens here on earth is in process. Because we have not arrived yet. We, we haven't gotten to the fulfillment of God's purposes. Ever since the beginning in, in Genesis chapter number three, when sin entered the scene, there has been this constant tension and struggle between God's will in heaven and our activities here on earth. And, and Jesus is telling us as we pray regularly, as we go to God consistently, relationally, that we're to go to God and make sure that we are aligning, that we are submitting and surrendering our intentions to his, that our will is being surrendered and submitted to his ways and to his word. So when we begin with our Father who is in heaven, there's this incredible sense of awe and wonder at God who is in heaven, God who is God with us who is not, but also this sense of intimacy, this idea that, that God is a good, good father, that, that he, he cares for us, his children, and, and as such invites us to come to him. But as we come to him, we come submissively. We come understanding that his authority in this world is absolute. His authority is complete. You know, I, I thought about this. How, how many of y'all remember the day that you got your driver's license. Let me just see a show of hands. If you remember the day that you, that's a great day in your life. I remember when I went on my birthday, my 16th birthday, and I got the driver's license. My mom had gone with me, and I, you know, left mom in the waiting room, and I go and take the test with the Texas DPS troopers, got the big old hat and the, you know, mirrored shades and kind of Buford T. Justice looking guy, and, 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 when you get that license, they, they hand you that, that piece of paper until the piece of plastic comes in the mail, and you have to fold it, you know, 25 times to fit in your wallet. I remember looking at that, at that piece of paper going, I can drive anywhere. I can go anywhere where there are roads, where there is land or dirt. The only thing holding me back is the ocean. Well... How many of y'all remember what that feeling was like when you first get your license? Am I the only one? Thank you, both of you, for not leaving your pastor hanging. Well, my mom sat me down that night, the night that I had gotten my license. We, we got home, and, and nothing happened, nothing bad, you know, or anything. She said, I need to have a word with you. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'm excited for you that you have your license now. Uh, but I need you to remember your priority now is still school. And I do not expect straight A's all the time. But if there is a C on your report card, if you make below a B, I want you to understand an equation. C equals car. If you make below a B, the keys are mine. I was like, I got you. What my mom was doing in that moment was making sure that I understood her authority in our house as parent and my priority as her child. That it was cool that I could drive and go anywhere in Houston that I wanted to, but I had to maintain the priorities that she had established within 
our home based on her authority. And that is exactly what God calls us to do in this amazing, miraculous interchange known as prayer. He, he calls us to remember the responsibility. My mom was excited I could drive. Believe me, that means she didn't have to cart my little honey around anymore. She was fired up to let me go. But I had to remember what the priority was. I had to remember what my responsibilities were now that I had this newfound freedom. And that's a perfect picture of what Jesus is getting at here when he teaches us to pray, saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's saying that it's in this moment that we have to settle the issue in our hearts and our minds about God's authority. See, here's the thing about God's authority. God's authority already is absolute. It is complete. It is, the theological term is his sovereignty. It means that he is large and in charge, period. That's why the Bible says there will come a day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That day hasn't gotten here yet. I don't know if you know that or not. But the fact is, not everybody is buying into the whole Jesus is Lord thing. But there will come a day. And in the meantime, those of us who follow Christ have to make a concerted effort and a deliberate decision to submit and surrender our will to his ways. We have to choose to say, not my will, but your will be Done. We have to settle the issue of sovereignty and authority in our minds and in our hearts. Because here's the thing. When, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's easy for us to think about a kingdom kind of like, like on a map. We, we think about geographical lines. It could be a small kingdom. It could be a large kingdom. But the reality is the kingdom of God begins and ends in the human heart. The kingdom of God is determined by the degree to which you and I choose to trust him more than we trust ourselves. The kingdom of God says, I will submit, I will surrender God to you. You are God and I am not. And it's not just that we, it's not just that we settle this. We have to come to a place where we recognize the authority of God, where you recognize it, where I recognize the authority of God. To recognize the authority of God is not just like a, an intellectual agreement, like, okay, God's in charge. It is a personal recognition. It is that complete surrender and submission of the human heart when we recognize that, when we when we see that that's the reality, recognizing the authority of God is the beginning. It is the beginning of mental health and self-awareness. That's why the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear, the reverence of God, our awe of God and who he is, being absolutely overwhelmed with him. That's where wisdom begins. That means there is no wisdom without the recognition of God's authority. Turn to your neighbor like you mean it, and with a smile on your face, tell him, don't be a fool. 
Don't, don't be foolish and think you are the authority. Don't, don't be silly and think that you have got it all figured out. I'm, I want to ask you a question. How many in the room are, let's say, 50 years old or older? Let me just see. I, I am 51 years old, about to be 52. How many of you are 30 years old or younger? Let me see a show of hands, all the 30 and unders in the room. Awesome, awesome. I want to tell all of the 30 and under something that I hope is an encouragement to you. All of us who are 50 and older, here's the good news. We're making it up as we go along. We don't have a clue. Now, we've got more years than you do. We've seen more. We've experienced more. But we're all making this up as we go along. The beginning of wisdom has nothing to do with your age. The beginning of wisdom, of being a wise, discerning person, is an awe and a reverence of God. That's where it starts. And so if it, you don't have to be 30. You don't have to be 20. You can be incredibly wise at 17. Now, the odds are stacked against you, but it's possible. You can be wise by choosing to reverence and worship and be awed by God and by being intimately connected to him in prayer, by, by settling, by, by this recognition that his power, his authority is absolute. It is, that's the beginning of wisdom. And so when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, that's where it begins. The great news also is that Jesus calls us to follow his example. He calls us to settle this issue in our minds and in our hearts just as he did. If you'll remember the most literally crucial moment in Jesus' life, that, that, that critical moment on the night that he was betrayed, the Bible tells us that Jesus withdrew from his closest followers and, and he went to God to settle the issue in his heart and in his mind to settle the issue of God's authority. Look at what the Bible says in Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, verses 41 through 43, the Bible says that he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. An angel from heaven appeared then and strengthened him. Now I want you to keep in mind the context here. In this moment, Jesus remained the son of the living God. He was completely divine and completely human in the moment. And yet, in that moment, he chose to submit his will, his desires, to the will and the desires of his heavenly Father. He said, Father, if there is any way for this cup of suffering, the cross, to not be my destiny, please take it away. I don't want to do this. But 
not my will, but your will be done. It was in that moment of surrender, in that moment of submission to the Father's will, that an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. It was in that moment of surrender that Christ found his greatest strength to face a challenge that you and I will never know. We, we will never experience, never have to experience and be able to overcome on our own that which Jesus overcame in and through the cross. But it was in that surrender and in that submission. And, and there's this spiritual dynamic at work here that, that continues to this day. That whenever you or I, let's just physically, let's just say we bow the knee. Whenever we bow the knee spiritually to God, it is in that moment that we are strengthened the most, that we are encouraged the most. I wonder, in the last seven days since we gathered together, did anybody in the room get too much encouragement? Anybody get too much encouragement this week? She's like, people, please stop encouraging me. You're wearing me out. I don't know anybody. I love the word encourage, though. The word encourage, it, it comes from the old French word for, for heart, enheartened. We are enheartened by each other. We are encouraged. Our hearts are filled with courage. It is in that surrender that God encourages us. And I think there's, there's a primary reason why we don't surrender. I think there's one primary reason that, that, that all of us struggle with surrender. It's fear. We're afraid to surrender. We know that we've been burned in life by other people. And so when we think about surrendering to God, a lot of times we can ascribe to God the flaws and the foibles of other people instead of remembering that he is a good, good father. That yes, he is holy and the name above every name, but he's also good. He's also the one who holds us in the palm of his hand. And it, he desires only that which is best for us. And so when we surrender to God, we're actually surrendering to our own best interests. It's an amazing spiritual dynamic at work. But that, that fear, it, it's FOMO. It's, it's that fear of missing out, isn't it? And it's not unique to us in, in 2018. You can go all the way back to the beginning. When, when, when Adam and Eve were there in the Garden of Eden with God, enjoying everything that he had created, the Bible says that they walked with God in the cool of the evening. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Just, just to be able to hang with God. And yet it was when Eve was tempted and Satan tempted her, not, not with riches, but with a fear of missing out. He said, listen, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is because he knows that as soon as you do, you'll become like him. You'll be like God. And that's what he's trying to keep from you. So go for it. Do it. And we've been fighting that same fight ever since. It's that same innate drive and desire that I have to be large and in charge. 
in control of my own life instead of remembering, yeah, he is God and he is good. And when I pray, your kingdom come, I'm settling that issue in my mind and in my heart. But, but recognizing the authority of God is just the first step. Jesus, Jesus takes it another step further and he says that we also have to realize God's authority. We have to realize it, not in the sense that we have to understand it intellectually, but in the sense that we are working and actively pursuing making it a reality. It's not enough just to, just to pray very, very, you know, religiously. We gotta actually do something about it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do it here on earth as it is in heaven. Realize it. Make it a reality. Manifest this in and through my life. God, I, I want to establish your authority through my words and through my actions, through what I do. And so my prayer that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's not just theory. That, that's going to be how I'm going to live. That's how I'm going to play it out today in everything that I do. And, and so now all of a sudden we're, we're making this real. It's, it's, not just, it's not just a theory. That's why don't ever, ever buy the lie that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The fact is what you believe actually does matter a great deal because what you believe determines how you behave. And what we believe is rooted in the truth of Scripture, is rooted in the person and personality of God Almighty and not in our feelings. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I want you, everybody, sit up straight for just a hot second, okay? We're, we're, we're spurring the horse to the barn right now. But I want you to, everybody smile, because this is great. And now turn to your neighbor and tell them, my feelings don't rule the day. Isn't that awesome? Because here's the deal. Our feelings change. Turn to your other neighbor now, who's your second choice. And tell them, Ben, your feelings are fickle. And now, tell that same neighbor again, and so are mine. <laughs> All of them are. Our feelings ebb and flow. I don't know if you know this. Men, men have hormonal cycles every month. You ought to write that down. Some of you are going to need it later on. We all go through, we come and go, ebb and flow. It happens all the time. But the truth, the reality of Scripture is constant and ever dynamic. It's always flowing. It's always moving and always reliable. And so it's our job as followers of Christ to realize his authority, to, to make it real, to bring it to bear, to remember that God's authority is absolute on heaven and in earth, but not only in the earth, but for the earth, for people, 
The more people we share Christ with, the more people we share this life with that is truly life that is abundant and overflowing, the better off we'll all be. So we're, we're, we're in the business, we're in the job of moving the purposes of God forward in this world. Now somebody in the room right now is thinking, Mac, man, I sell software. I, I'm, a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. How am I moving the purposes of God forward? I didn't do anything. Not true. Listen, I know. I, I know what it's like. How many of you have children at home below the age of four? Let me just see a show of hands. Keep your hands up for just a hot second. Father, right now, we lift up all of these people. Pray your courage and strength and power over their lives and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the thing you gotta remember. If you're keeping that child alive another 24 hours, you're moving the kingdom of God forward. You are. You're raising a difference maker. If you have teenagers and you're allowing them to live another 24 hours, you're moving the kingdom of God forward. I had a cup of coffee months ago with, with a friend of mine. He's like, man, I just don't know that, that my work is, is really matters. And, and he, he's a financial planner, and I said, here, let, let's back up a second. He said, because you do what you do, your clients are able to go to bed at night knowing that at some point they're gonna be able to retire with some level of confidence because you take care. I said, that's, that's ministry. You, you give people a sense of peace. Now, it's not ultimate peace. That only comes from Christ. But, but to know that ultimately one day their, their nest egg will still be in the nest, I said, let me, let me just run one more thing by you. You've got three kids, right? Like, yeah, man. They're, yeah, they're a handful. I said, bruh, I feel you. I said, your kids go to bed every night knowing that their dad loves their mom and that they have a safe home. They're, they're, it's such a part of their lives, they don't even think about it. I said, that's not a small thing that you're providing. I said, it's a big deal. You don't, you don't have to, like, you know, sell everything and move to Uganda. If God leads you to, Godspeed to Uganda. But, but you can bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven right here in Austin, Texas, right where you are. You, you don't have to add to your to-do list. You just have to intentionalize what you're already doing. Be deliberate about it. Make it a ministry. It's already there for the taking. And this is what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, realize God's authority. Make it real in everything that you do. And then you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to succumb to the fear, to the anxiety, to the, to the worry. You know, it's not just in this model prayer in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, of course, is part of the Lord's Prayer. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And later on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, listen, don't get freaked out about all the day-in, day-out stuff. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, what you're going to drive. Just, he didn't say that because they didn't have cars. But he said, just let, let me explain to you how to defeat fear and anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. He said, these things they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father 
already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Everything you need. Now, don't, don't raise your hand on this one, but I, I wonder, how, how many of you remember or maybe at some point dating somebody and wondering if they were the one. Now, don't raise your hand because you may be sitting next to them, and this could get awkward here in just a second. But, but you're, you've dated people, and you're like, man, I don't know. Is he the one? Man, is she the one? I think, I think she's the one God, God has for me. She's really hot. I would suggest to you that, that God's standards may include but transcend that one little standard. And, and at a certain point, you kind of get into a place in a relationship where you don't really know. It's, and let me just, as a, as a general rule, if, if you date somebody for six or seven years and you don't know, you know. You know? But... But for whatever reason, it's just, it's not clicking. It's not clicking with, with your closest friends and family, the ones that have known you longest and love you the most or, or whatever. And, and you, you like, yeah, but if God doesn't give it, you don't need it. And that's not just about who you date. That's about every single thing in life that we pray for, that we ask for. If he doesn't give it, we don't need it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then he will give you everything else that you need. Don't, don't get sucked into the fear and the anxiety. That's, that's what the unbelievers worry about. They, they, they live in that little vortex and spinner tub all the time. Seek first the kingdom of God of God, the purposes, the authority of God in your heart, in your life, and then everything else he will take care of. Everything else. Again, it's not about kingdom like from this boundary to that boundary, this river to that ocean. The kingdom of God is an issue of the human heart. Most specifically, most accurately, the kingdom of God, it's about the heart that inhabits my chest, your chest. You see, the, the kingdom of God comes down to who do you believe is the king of your life? Who do you recognize day in and day out as the sovereign, as as the one on the throne of your life. That, that's why the Bible says what it does in Colossians chapter one. In Colossians one, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power, authority, so that you will have all the endurance and the patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us 
He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He, he's, he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom that is rebelling against his authority and moved us into the kingdom of light and hope and peace and power that he purchased, that he purchased with his blood and life on the cross. Again, when you understand that our king died for his subjects, you understand who you're surrendering to. You understand that that you're, you're surrendering, you're submitting, yes, to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the name that is above every name. That's that awe and wonder that we approach him with. But we remember that he died. We, we remember that he, he gave himself up for us. And so our surrender is in our own best interest. We surrender to the one who will never take advantage of that surrender, who will never leverage it and use it against us, but only for us. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. Because the fact of the matter is, this is reality. That every single one of us has or has not surrendered our lives, our will to Christ. If you're here today and you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do it. To begin living life the life that you were created for, to begin a relationship with Christ. You don't have to, you don't have to pass a test. You don't have to have perfect attendance at church for the next six months. You just have to surrender. You have to submit to the king, to follow him. If you'd like to take that step, then we want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. To just say silently, right where you're sitting, just talk to God and say, Father, hear my prayer. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. And so, Lord, in this moment, I confess my sin to you. 
All of it. In order to claim and accept all of your forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to reign over my life, to be the king, sovereign over me. I recognize your authority. And from this moment, I will follow you to realize, to make it real on earth, in me, as it is in heaven. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name because of you. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment, a sacred moment. And for those of you who just prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want you to know that th this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a family, as a church, we want to help with the moments to come. And so if you would, I want to ask you just to do a couple of things just right now. Number one, if you would begin filling out the connect card. It's inside the program that you got when you came in. Just open it up in the inside flap there, connect card. And almost halfway down, you'll see there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. Just right now, if you would, just start filling that card out. And then once you've finished it, you can tear it off at the perforation along the fold. And when we dismiss in just a couple of minutes, I want to ask you just to take that card and hand it to one of our ushers, one of our hosts on the way out. That will allow us to begin to help, to come alongside and help at whatever pace works for you. As you enter and begin this new life, the second thing that I want to ask you to do, if you would, just very briefly, as our heads are bowed for another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that you're surrounded by people, like I said, who want to help, who believe in you, and who want to be a family of faith with you. And our family tradition is, as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. Because that's what the church is all about. 
That's who we are and that's what we do.